You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 31 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. Every quarter, class publishes a benchmark report that gives a unique insight into the SMSF landscape. The December 2017 report, published earlier this year in 2018, contains some eye-opening details. I met with Kevin Bungard, the CEO of Class, to get his thoughts on some of these data points. And Tom Sargent, the Feeds Operations Manager of Class, will also join the discussion. My first question to Kevin is, who had the idea of a benchmark report? The idea for the benchmark report really was we were struggling ourselves just in terms of getting good information about what the state of the industry was. The information that the ATO provides is obviously collected as part of what they do as uh, that data they collect as part of the annual return. By the time they then process that and start to get the statistical data out, it can be quite some time. So, for example, the December 2017 data is still not out from the ATO yet. And obviously we're well into, got a whole quarter that's gone since then. So, and even then the data, the level of the data that they get on an annual return is not really sufficient to look at things like, well, one of the big questions that we had was, well, what's really going on with self-managed super funds and international investment? Because there's this commentary, running commentary about self-managed super funds don't have enough exposure to international markets. But we were certainly seeing uh, just anecdotally that people were using ETFs and managed funds to get that exposure. The ATO can't answer that question because they don't have the data, the individual institutions, the, uh, the the ETF providers, the managed fund providers have some idea that they've got lots of self-managed super fund clients, but they, they again, they can't really analyse that effectively. So we thought, well, we're in a position where we have access to all this information, as you say, and therefore it would, it would be useful for the industry if we're able to answer some of these topical questions as they come up to kind of go, well, hey, based on the data we're looking at, here's what we're seeing. And so one of the first ones we did was actually around ETFs and exposure to uh, international markets and, in fact, the degree to which self-managed super funds are helping fuel the growth in ETFs and the fact that certainly within that top 10, there's a very strong focus on international exposure as part of that. So that I think it was it was good news for the industry to go, hey, self-managed super funds are probably getting a little bit more exposure to international than you realise because they're using the managed funds and using the ETFs to get that exposure. Mm. Looking at the uh, report, I was surprised how many funds invest in the same shares of managed funds. Were you surprised as well? I think you're always going to see that if there is a, a market leader, I mean, obviously the banks are make up a very large proportion of the ASX 200. So in a, in a, in a stock market where you have the big four banks and Telstra making up a big part of a portfolio of any shareholder's portfolio, you're going to see that represented in the self-managed super funds as mm. well. And if people are taking advice, if they're working with getting appropriate exposure to different market segments and so forth, or if they're working around exposure to the index and things like that, then you're going to tend to see them picking you know, similar stocks as to which you know exact stocks they pick. Obviously, there's going to be different styles of investors. I mean, one of the things we haven't looked at is you know what sort of correlation between what types of shareholdings. But on average, you're, you're going to see a lot of those ASX 200 because they are very large capital bases. You're going to see those represented 
it in the in the SMSM portfolios. Mm. Um, I think what's more interesting is when you look at some of the areas like direct held international securities, some of the patterns there, the fact that, for example, a lot of the top 10 there are actually tech stocks and that people really want to own Apple or Facebook or the other tech providers um, directly rather than, you know, going through ETFs or going through other mechanisms to get that sort of exposure to that market segment. It's interesting to see that people are using that as an opportunity to get that direct access. 12% of funds that hold international shares invested in Apple. Yeah. 50% of funds that invested in domestic securities hold Telstra. Yeah. 50%. 50%. Yeah. I find that yeah. amazing. And it continues, you know, 47% in Westpac, 46% in BHP, 44% in, in NAB, 44% in ANZ, 43% in Commonwealth. It's a... It's amazing. Yeah, it, it is. And I think there's a number of people who have commented on the fact that not just self many super funds, but share investors as a as Mum and dad group. investors. Yeah. yeah, but if they were, if Telstra or all the banks catch a cold, you know, that has a big impact on them. In on terms. the country. Yeah, yeah. Even the degree to, and again, the percentage of the ASX 200 that they constitute is, is, is massive. And it wouldn't be surprising, I guess, to see the same sort of statistics at level of investing in APRA-related funds as you're seeing in self-managed super funds. Uh, certainly around the bank exposure, yeah, for example, sure. I assume there's a similar level there. Maybe not as concentrated. I think there is a level of, again, um, concern that self-managed super funds may chase dividends more, mm. uh, yeah. particularly if they're in pension mode. And one of the big differences between APRA funds and self-managed super funds is that in self-managed super funds, essentially half the members are in pension phase. And so dividends for them... Are is that same. true? Yeah. Half of the SMSFs are in pension phase? Yes. Ah. That is correct. I'm surprised about that. I had 20% no, floating in my head. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. There is certainly a percentage that are in a mixture of where one is in pension mode and one member is not, and uh, I've, I don't know the exact number of that. But if you count a pension fund as being any fund where at least one member is in pension, pension phase, it's over 50%. I find that amazing. That means that means that most SMSFs must be set up reasonably close to retirement age. Uh, the average age of an SMSF trustee is 58 I found the benchmark report very helpful. It breaks up the accounting market, basically the accountants who are serving their clients using class into six segments. And you start with general accounting practice who has less than 25 funds. Then you go to small SMSF practice who has 25 to 100 funds. Then medium SMSF practice, large SMSF practice, emerging administrator and major administrator. I found that a very interesting breakup of the um, SMSF accounting market to basically see who's doing what. What I found interesting is that you didn't mention trustees because you would have a few trustees who are using class, don't you? We do, but very few. When we initially started the business, we kind of opened the door to anybody and um, we did have a few individuals sign up. But we very quickly worked out that we couldn't service the individual trustees very well. They, they have different needs compared to an accounting. Because they're low volume and high support. Correct, correct. And often what we would find is that they will ring you up and ask for advice and we're not geared up to provide advice. We can tell you how to use the software to achieve what 
you're trying to achieve, but we shouldn't, you know, we can't tell you whether you should start a pension or not. Uh, we can tell you how to start one on class and what, what's involved in terms of the which buttons to push to actually go through that process, but it's not our job to tell you whether or not you should start a pension or not. So uh, it was a conscious decision not to cover a trustee's first-year class software. Correct, correct. So where the trustees are doing the administration themselves, so a trustee can have access to class indirectly via the accountant using their mobile or using the, the web browser. So there's a, a version that's available for the, the trustee to log in and look at their fund. But in terms of if they want to do their own administration, that's not a market that we're servicing. Um, we think that this is too complicated an area and certainly with the latest changes to the super reform it's too complicated an area for the individuals mm. to do this now some of those are retired accountants who are doing their own funds and looking after those there's a lot of retired accountants out there so obviously they're quite capable of doing that so don't read that as they, they don't know what they're doing it's just that there's a lot of them that as you say they would be um, we're not really geared up for that level of support. Mm. it's not this it's yeah. not the market you you are uh, so the diy portion of the market is about 15%, so about 15% of trustees. Oh, I, I didn't see um, the DIY. Uh, I completely overlooked that. And so from an industry perspective, there, there, there is about uh, 90,000 self-managed super funds who are being looked after by the trustees themselves, mostly with lots of spreadsheets and maybe a copy of MYAB or something that they're using. Oh, I see. Okay. So 15% of the um, SMSF funds out there... Mm -hmm are basically looked after by the trustee themselves. Correct. But you service close to zero of those because Correct. it's not a market you are you are after. So you're basically very strong in the accounting practices that cover 25 to 100, 100 funds and then mm -hmm. also 101 to 250 funds. So the um, small SMSF practice and the medium SMSF yes. practice. But you're also very strong in the 1,000-plus uh, funds you know 14 percent of administrators cover thousand plus funds mm. but you service almost 25 percent of those yes that's correct so particularly because we had that sort of initial focus around large administrators and that seed client who was a large administrator we, smart super yeah mm. we deal we, we provide the efficiency that those large providers and we had a lot of early success with those larger providers and uh, there's not a lot of them, as you said, in terms of the industry. And so uh, our core focus, once we sort of got through some of those early sign-ups around those large administrators, was really saying, well, what about the rest of the industry? The, most of the most of the self-managed super funds with the accounting firms that are out in the suburbs, who are out in the regional areas and looking after that sort of 25 to 250 funds. That's where the majority of the, the industry is. So we have to service those guys and they are the they're, they're, they're sort of the growth engine for the business because there's lots of practices out there that are in that range. I guess what's interesting is that we see below that, below that sort of 25 fund, and it's a bit arbitrary, it could be 20 funds, 25 doesn't really matter, but the point is below that what we tend to see, what we call those general accounting practices. They're practices where they don't have really a, a core focus around self-managed super funds. If you're an accounting practice and you're doing 10 self-managed super funds, you'll be earning about $25,000 revenue from those 10 self-managed super funds if you're earning the average sort of $2,500 in admin fees. For that $25,000, you're supposed to have somebody on staff who's an expert in superannuation and the tax related to self-managed super funds. And, you know, is it really worth you as a practice taking 
taking on the risk associated with the, for that for that twenty five thousand dollars worth of revenue, and you know just I uh, look at the super reform and think of the number of hours that you had to put in just to stay up to date with the super reform. If you're looking after a small number of funds, it can't be economical, and I think the the viability of of servicing small numbers of funds going forward without making an investment in technology, without making a commitment to be up to speed on the legislation and the requirements, I think is very difficult. So that's why we tend to not sort of focus on that kind of general accounting practice market, although we we, we have a number of clients that are in that space. Often those ones will be ones where they've signed up with an expectation of growing that practice. So, you know, they might only have five funds today and that's fine but they're making the commitment to to grow that business. So mm. we, we certainly wouldn't turn people away if they have a small number of funds, but we... It uh, doesn't make sense if it stays at five funds. Correct. If that's all they're ever planning on doing, then it doesn't really make sense. Mm. According to you, in your benchmark report, you also mentioned that SMSF practices who are using class are a lot more likely to grow than if they're not compared to the industry growth rate mm -hmm. that would feed into what you just said is that yeah, yes we, this, the, the general accounting practices might only have five funds but they have a great opportunity to grow now with the software and Absolutely. And what we see is that those firms, even if they were in that category, you know, one quarter that we do the report, a couple of quarters later, they'll have migrated up into one of those other larger categories because they've grown their number of funds under administration significantly. We tend to attract practices that are serious about SMSF as a growth area for their practice. And we obviously enable them to do that. We give them the tools to be efficient, to be able to earn a good margin doing the work, to be able to take on additional clients without necessarily having to add to the staff that they have and really grow that as a key kind of growth engine for their practice. So, yeah, I think particularly in that core area because obviously if you're in a if you've already got a couple of thousand funds trying to grow your business further from there is hard work but i think if you've got 200 funds and you want to grow that to 300 funds you know that's that's something that if you put your mind to it if you've got the right tools if you get the right training for your staff if you put some effort into finding clients in your in your area if you team up with some planners that might be working in this space and and look to get some business from them then you can grow your business effectively and that's what we really support that's what we see a, a lot of happening within that within that group other software providers that target the general accounting practices and the trustees so what we tend to find is that the trustees themselves and the general accounting practices that are not doing a large number of funds tend to just be kind of muddling through they tend to be using a, a a general ledger, typically a, a copy of MYOB that they haven't upgraded and they, that, that's free effectively, and lots of spreadsheets to get the job done. And that can work. If you want to put the time in, you can make that work. I think it's getting harder to make that work as the level of reporting and the caps and limits are sort of you know, taking hold. It probably works during accumulation phase, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's easier in accumulation phase, absolutely, yeah. right? Because um, then you don't you don't need an actuary certificate. You basically just... Uh, yeah, you don't have T-bar reporting 
doing if you're in accumulation mode. Yeah. You've got less if you're if you're just accumulating, and um, particularly if you're just sort of buying and increasing your portfolio rather than doing a lot of selling. So there's not a lot of CGT to be dealing with, and so forth. And then, as you say, yes, you could you could probably do that fairly effectively. Mm. And so that's probably what happens. What is happening at this? I, I think it's quite end. possible that it could be. Yeah, it'll be. I think in a lot of cases it might be uh, just the, the you know the the partners uh, funds that they're looking after, and they you, you say they maybe they're in accumulation phase anyway, so they're not difficult to, to maintain. What we tend to see is that in terms of the software spread, there's about 12% of the market, and this is based on investment trends data from last year, that are just using Excel and uh, general ledger products, and typically a practice ledger in the uh, case of one of these smaller accounting firms, so or these general accounting firms. And so I think you'll see those sorts of... those firms that are using Excel and, and general ledgers to, you'll see them moving towards using a purpose-built solution rather than continuing mm. with that going forward. I think it's getting harder and harder for them to do that. Uh, we'll see in the next investment trends report whether that portion of the market has uh, uh, migrated. Certainly, we get about 20% of our new business comes from accounting firms that are not using a competitive product, that are using oh, really? Excel and practice ledgers. Yeah. Where does class stand in comparison to BGL? At the very start, I thought that class was really, really big and BGL was very small. And I was really surprised to realize later on that it's different. Mm -hmm. So class has got um, uh, probably the easiest thing is I'll talk about where the market was last year because the only way we really get a good read on market share, I mean, I can tell you today class's market share is 27%. I can tell you that today AMP's share is something sort of 7 8% based on market data that's been released by AMP and class. What I can't tell you easily is the where the rest of the market is. Certainly, based on investment trends from this time last year, then you reported that due out soon, they had BGL at about 41% market share and about 15% DIY, as we said before, where they're doing the administration themselves and about 12% that are using Excel and, and practice ledgers. And at that time, class was about 25%, AMP was about 7%. You mentioned Heffron a lot in your blogs. Do you have a special relationship with Heffron? Uh, Heffron is one of their earliest clients. So we have a number of clients that we work very closely with. We always go and talk to clients when we're looking at new features and so forth. So, so it's probably then just coincidence that I noticed Heffron. Uh, no, I was going to say it depends on, without looking at what the actual postings were, I mean, one of the things that we will do is refer to Heffron in terms of that they are a recognised uh, expert in this space and, and probably of, of, you know, between Heffron and um, Super Concepts with their kind of brains trusts of experts between them, you know, they've, they've really got uh, some of the best brains in the industry. So I think Super Concept is a AMP, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so they have an education department that has Peter Burgess and a host of people in there like uh, Phil LeGrecker and others who are industry experts. experts that they can draw on. And But obviously Meg Heffron um, you know, has a very highly regarded reputation and so often we will refer to her blogs um, because of what she's saying about what's happening with T-Bar or what's happening with actuarial certificates or whatever it is. So I'm surprised that you you say she when with respect to Heffron. Heffron is a company. 
company, not... Ah, so Heffron is uh, both Martin and Meg Heffron are the, are the owners of that business. Oh, okay. um, and Martin is the CEO there and Meg is kind of the technical expert. Ah, um, I see. And so, so Meg, Meg Heffron is highly regarded as an SMSF expert? Yes. yes. So she was a member of the Cooper Review. So government review into uh, sovereign super funds that occurred a number of years ago. So uh, she's often sought after as a commentator because of that background, the fact that she was actually on that committee. Oh, I see. And hence your reference to Heffron. Uh, so often it'll be in regard to what they're playing as experts in the industry. But we also have uh, day to training courses, um, which we send our staff on. So there's, again, they've, they've got a, they're highly regarded as an educator, not just as a client. So um, we definitely, so they're also a partner in that they uh, provide actuarial certificates as well. So we have a many faceted relationship with everyone. SMSF accounting market is interesting in terms of that most markets tend to drift towards a, a winner-takes-all, but the SMSF accounting market is quite widespread in terms of that even the big AMP conglomerate only covers 5% of funds and a lot of the funds are covered by small small players. Do you think there will be a concentration in the market that more and more funds will go to large administrators? Look, ever since I got involved with self-managed super funds in 2007, people have been talking about aggregation, consolidation in the industry. Even prior to that, there were a number of attempts by institutions to really look to get some consolidation in this market and, and no one had successfully done that in the past. I think it's interesting that AMP has managed to get to the point where they've got to and as you say it's still only 5% of markets and in most other financial services market the institutions you would expect to have a much larger role in, the, in, in these industries but AMP has largely done that by um, acquisition. They haven't done it organically so uh, I think the bigger question here is why is it that the institutions have never been able to effectively address and grow organically in this in this space? Why haven't they been able to take to market an offering that has displaced what the accountants are doing? And I think the answer is really simple. I think the answer is that SMSF trustees want that personal level of service. They want to be talking to a trusted advisor, um, the accountant or the financial planner that they're working with. And I think it's very hard for the institutions to replicate. Obviously, we've got a, the current uh, investigation into the banks in terms of their services, and a big part of that is around the financial services and how, how well they service that market. So I think there is a level of trust that's just not there. Uh, with the institutions that is there with the, the local accountant or the, the local advisor, the financial planner that you might be working with. I think that that is something that the trustees really value. And I think that that's, I think there will be consolidation in the industry, but I think the consolidation will be more into those small, medium uh, accounting practices. I think that the DIY trustees will, will find it harder and harder to do what they're doing. I think the general accounting practices will look to outsource that to other players, um, you know, potentially just the firm down the road, but, you know, more likely to use one of the specialist administrators. So I think you'll see different segments of the market 
consolidating in different ways. I don't think you will see an institution who's suddenly servicing 20% of the market. I, I just don't think that that's what SMSF trustees want. They've got to a point where they've accumulated an average balance of $1.4 million. They're very engaged with what that money is doing and where it's at. And I think they, they want to know that they're working with someone who's who's got their back, who, who they trust. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, institutions don't, don't tend to uh, engender that trust. Do you think it's also because the accounting software that's out there, Class and BGL, puts a very powerful tool into small suburban accounting practices, which allows accountants to give the personal attention to their clients, to the trustees, but at the same time achieves efficiency with cloud based SMSF accounting software? Absolutely. I think that the fact that you as a small accounting practice who might be looking after 50 self-managed super funds can be using the same technology that the largest administrator in the country is using is a real leveller. And it's basically saying that, you know, one of the areas that the institutions can traditionally bring to bear is that they can deploy technology in a way that a small provider like an suburban, suburban accounting practice can't. So how do you as an accountant compete with that? And you're right, it's, it's by having software that's cloud-based software, which is essentially enterprise-grade software that you're able to use and provide a service to your client that otherwise they might only get from a big bank or financial institution. Welcome back. I still can't get over the fact that 50% of all SMSFs in class who hold domestic shares own Telstra shares. 50%. In the next episode, episode 32, Scott Triad of Pitcher Partners in Sydney will talk about the distinction between debt and equity for tax purposes. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.